Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. This week, we're going to look at Proper 20, which is basically, in our text this week, an extension of Proper 19. What do I mean by that? We'll continue our study of Esther, the last history book. The last history book. The first history book, in case you were wondering, is Joshua. Remember the first five books of the Bible? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the next book is Joshua. Remember, Joshua's the one that led them, the Jewish people, the Israelites, into the promised land and overtook many of the enemies so that God, who had promised that land to them, would be victorious and the people would reside in the land that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we go from Joshua to Judges to Ruth to 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, and Ezra, Nehemiah, and finally Esther. And with Esther, we're on quite a journey because we are in the Persian kingdom, a very powerful kingdom. Now, the way it went was basically this. You had Assyria, then you had Babylon, then you had Persia, then you had the Greeks, remember them, Alexander the Great, and then after that, the Romans. And so uh, that's pretty much the way it went from about the 8th century BC to about the 5th century AD. Rome was done at 476 and Assyria about 720, um, 750, right, right in there, 8th century. Okay, a long time. So Esther is a person that God uses to save the Jewish people. So those of you, please read the text that we've listed out here. We've got Esther 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 and 8. Well, obviously, I don't have enough time to go through this in great detail. But as you're reading this, let me just give you some ideas behind this. Mordecai raised Esther. They were not flesh and blood. And Esther was a beautiful woman, and she was chosen by King Xerxes to be his queen. Chapter 2, verse 17, the king was attracted to Esther more than to any other woman, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Remember, Vashti got upset last week and did not obey the king when the king asked for her in the, in the midst of this extraordinary party. The king got very upset and replaced the queen. Okay. And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all the nobles and the officials and he proclaimed a holiday. Now, Mordecai, Esther's father, was sitting at the king's gate but Esther had kept secret her family background and Mordecai and nationality as Mordecai had told her. Because Mordecai brought her up as a Jewish woman, and of course he was Jewish, and he was sitting in the king's gate, and there were a group of guys that were going to assassinate King Xerxes. Mordecai found out about the plot, told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. When the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were hanged on the gallows. 
And all this was recorded in the Book of Annals in the presence of the king. So Queen Esther was very highly thought of by the king after this, and Mordecai was very highly thought of. Now, why is this so important? Because Haman, who was working with King Xerxes, wanted to kill Esther and the people of Israel and get rid of them all. Wanted to destroy the Jewish people. Okay? Because he wanted, look at chapter 3. After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than all of the other nobles. And all the royal officials of the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not do that. So the royal officials asked Mordecai, why are you disobeying the command? Day after day they spoke to him. He refused to comply. He told them he was a Jew, and Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, and he was enraged. So he was going to take care of this, Haman was. Yet having learned that Mordecai's people were who they were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. He looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the entire empire. If he would have succeeded and done that, they would have been wiped off the face of the earth. Now, do you see where this is going? So what the rest of the chapters are is what was going to play out and how God was going to use Esther to save the Israelites from almost certain death. And so Mordecai gets Esther to help. I don't want to go into great detail on this, but gets Mordecai to help. Uh, Mordecai gets Esther to help and Esther has to make a very, very hard decision. She has to appeal to the king. And you say, well, why can't you just go talk to him? Because you don't walk in and just talk to the king anytime you want to. Gather together, chapter 4, verse 15, all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, and I, I and my maids will fast. I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So on the third day, she put on her royal robes in chapter 5. She goes and speaks to the king. The king is sitting on his royal throne, and he held the golden scepter out to her. If he doesn't hold the golden scepter out to whoever wants to meet with him, they are killed. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. What is it, Queen Esther? Verse 3. Even up to half the kingdom will be given you. If it please the king, let the king, together with Haman, come to the banquet I have prepared. So what happens is, is that she is setting up a way for the king and Haman and the queen to meet. And Haman, along the way, had gallows built at the end of chapter 5. And the king could not sleep. And in chapter 7, we will see what happens to Haman. I don't want to tell you. It's wonderful reading. Then the king issues a edict in chapter 8. And in our readings together, we will go to the end of chapter 8. And see how this is beautifully played out. I'm, 
Like I said to you last week, I've read this several times. It's wonderful. It's riveting. It's a wonderful story. Now, God's name is not mentioned in the book of Esther, but it's obvious that God was behind this extraordinary event in which Esther is raised from nowhere. Mordecai amazingly hears a coup against the king. Amon, Amon is um, exalted in the ranks, but is very wicked and wants to destroy the Jews because of Mordecai, who will not bow down to him. And then Esther devises a plan that Haman is found out, and you'll read the rest, and you'll see what happens. Acts chapter 18. Know then, what's the point of Esther? God is in charge. God is sovereign. God knows what he's doing. As I said last week, he's not sleeping. He's not resting. He is taking care of his people. He is not sleeping or slumbering with you. He knows what you're going through. Continue to trust him. Continue to pray. As Esther said, if I perish, I perish. Sometimes you got to take risks. Sometimes you have to go out there and try something you've never done before or do something that doesn't make any sense. But God is with you. Pray. Seek the Lord. Chapter 18 of the book of Acts. Now, we're on journeys. We are ministering. Remember I mentioned Corinth last week? Well, we're in Corinth in chapter 18. And he's teaching the word of God. And so you have these wonderful people that are gathered together. You've got Priscilla. You've got Aquila. You've got Apollos. Now, Apollos is a very famous person. He is a Jewish person, verse 24, native of Alexandria. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures in verse 24. And he was a person that God used to evangelize and share the gospel. Verse 28 He vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Now, what I like to do is have a good understanding of Acts when I'm reading the letters of Paul because the letters of the book of Acts gives us an understanding of what is going on with Paul in terms of his ministry, in terms of his movement, in terms of what he said to uh, to people, uh, non-Christians and Christians at different places in his walk. And it ties in with the, uh, with the letters that he writes. In chapter 19, he's in Ephesus. You've heard of Ephesus, haven't you? Very famous book of the Bible, Ephesians. And Paul is in Ephesus, and he is um, sharing the gospel. He is, uh, he's in verse 13, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who are demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And then we had the seven sons of Sceva. So what you'll find is the movements of the apostles, the apostle Paul mostly, sometimes Peter, their movements, who is accompanying them, the things that happen in these places. And in the second half of chapter 19, you have the riot in Ephesus. So remember, the, they are coming against uh, unknown gods. They're coming against pagan gods. They're coming to the people to show them the right way, the truth that these gods are not real, that they are false, and the false god is to be condemned. And the true God is to be worshipped. So move away from the false gods, move toward the true gods. Well, 
that takes a lot of guts back there in the first century. We're talking about probably in the 50s, in the 50s that Paul is doing, is on these missionary journeys. And so he shares with us another example of healing, another example of, of casting out devils, another example of miracles as we go through chapter 18, chapter 19, and chapter 20. You have Eutychus raised from the dead. This is in chapter 20, 1 through 16, the last day uh, on Sunday. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people. He kept on talking to midnight. There were lamps in the room. This guy, Eutychus, went in a deep sleep. He fell back. He died. <laughs> and Paul embraced him, put his arms around him, and he was raised from the dead. So the stuff like this happened probably quite often. And we just have snippets of this information, what God wanted us to have in the Holy Scriptures. And then he says farewell to the Ephesian elders, a beautiful um, chapter at the end of chapter 20. In and Luke, we, are, we have finished the book of John. Remember last week we were in chapter 12. So evidently we're not going forward with 13, 14, 15, and 16, and 17. And then we're going from John 12 to the beginning of Luke. So we're back in a new book of the Bible again. Luke chapter 1. Now, Luke chapter 1 and 2 are very important around Christmas time because they tell us about the birth of Jesus. Now, the birth of Jesus is not located in the Gospel of John, and it's not located in the Gospel of Mark. And there is information in Matthew 1 and 2. We have the Magi in chapter 2. We have Jesus and his parents going to Egypt to avoid the wrath of Herod. We have the genealogy at the beginning of chapter 1, 1 to 17. And then we have the birth of Jesus uh, in uh, Matthew's gospel. But in Luke, he has much more information to give us. In chapter uh, 1, 1 through four, 1 and 2, he tells us about the birth of Jesus. And you can read that information. And we see how beautiful uh, it is that God has sent his son into the world. And then we go right into chapter 3. John the Baptist's cousin is born. Jesus is beginning his ministry. Advance 30 years. There's not much in the Bible in Jesus' first years of his life. We have the Jesus is the temple at the end of chapter 2. And that's pretty much it. We jump into chapter 3. And in chapter 3, you'll see the beginning of John the Baptist's ministry when he's talking about repentance. And he is preparing us to hear the word of the Lord. So in Luke chapter 1 and 2, we find the birth of Jesus. In chapter 3, we have the beginning of John the Baptist's ministry, crying in the desert, preparing the way of the Lord. And in chapter 4, we have the temptation of Jesus and the beginning of his ministry. We have the temptation of Jesus against Satan, where after being baptized in chapter 3, Jesus is tempted and survives the temptation. Remember, if he loses that temptation, if he submits to the temptation, all is lost because he will have sinned against God. And God demanded a perfect person, human person, to be able to die for the sins of the world. 
Jesus is rejected at Nazareth where he grew up. So imagine going back and he is rejected there and he walks through the crowd though that was trying to destroy him. They took him to the brow of the hill, verse 29 of chapter 4, and which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff, but he walked through the crowd and went on his way. Jesus had enormous power, but they didn't know that. Jesus then begins to do ministry in chapter 4 by driving out evil spirits and healing people. So he's beginning his ministry and preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns because this is why I was sent, verse 43. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So Jesus was preaching. He was casting out demons. He was teaching. He was healing. And he was doing lots of other miracles as we'll see in the next several weeks as we go through Luke together. All right, a quick summary of this week. We are looked at the book of Esther and we have finished Esther. You'll notice at the end on Saturday, you have Hosea, which is the first book of the 12. And if you look at proper 21, we will be looking at Hosea next week. In that first chapter, God has some very strong words to say, and we'll go over those when we get together for proper 21. But you might go ahead and look at those, look at that first chapter. It's quite extraordinary what God thinks of the people of Israel and what he wanted his prophet Hosea to do. By the way, Hosea is the first of 12, and we call those minor prophets, and it concludes with Malachi. That's your last book of the Old Testament. But in Esther, God uses Esther miraculously as the last book of the history to show how great God is, and he saves his people. And Hosea, he's now rebuking his people for the infidelity and calls on Hosea to be a prophet with extraordinary courage and valor in what he's asking him to do. In Acts chapter 18, Paul continues his journey in Corinth and Ephesus, and he continues to share the gospel. He undergoes tremendous suffering in doing so. So as you read through those chapters, you want to hear those words and pray about uh, how God uh, enables us to go through difficult times, much like Esther, much like Jesus at the end of his life, much like Paul, as he um, fulfills the word of the Lord in sharing the gospel with others. And then finally, we have the beginning of Luke. We start a new gospel. Jesus is born. He um, begins his ministry at the age of 30. His cousin John the Baptist precedes them. He awakens the people to the fact that the Messiah is coming and that we need to repent and be prepared for his coming. But no, they're not excited about his coming. They take him to the brow of the hill and we're going to throw him down a cliff. Jesus walks through the crowd and is able to deal with this profound lack of desire, even if they had been told beforehand by his cousin John, their profound lack of wanting to follow the Lord. But Jesus presses on. He drives out evil spirits, he heals many, and he preaches the gospel. So his mission, about three years long, is for people to receive the message that he has for them. So he who has ears to hear, she who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so I hope there's lots of hearing on your part in reading and studying and thinking about these scriptures for this week. God bless you and have a wonderful week of daily lectionary readings. <music>